Do you hear that sound? That is the sound of the waves crashing against a bay. But it's not just any bay. It's a Baywatch! Because this is a Baywatch podcast. In fact, this is Baywatch Rookie School. A podcast where two men who have never watched Baywatch before try and watch Baywatch. I'm Michael Eisen. And I'm Morgan Thrapp. And Morgan, today is a reunion Oh boy, is it. It's the reunion, because that's the name of the episode. It sure is. We've got all sorts of reunions going on in this episode. We've got a really weird subplot that I hate about Mitch and Craig being reunited reunited with a mutual ex-girlfriend. We've got uh, Mitch and Craig being reunited with some friends. And we've got uh, cars being reunited with their owner. I mean, eventually the third one, but eh, mostly it's not that one. (laughs) So uh, today's episode was written by W. Reed Moran. I don't know why I pronounce it like that. Uh, Directed by Rob Bowman. Originally aired December 15th, 1989. So some facts about some of our guest stars. Alex Hyde-White, who plays Paul in this episode, has the most obviously self-written IMDb bio I've ever seen in my life. Uh, He lists all of his cousins, uh, which is way too specific. Uh, And like he also lists that his nickname is Punch, and he thus created Punch Audio or something. I don't know, whatever. Dana Sparks, who plays Allison, was on the soap opera Passions, for 344 episodes, which is Damn. sounds like a lot, but ultimately nothing, given that there are 2,231 episodes of Passions, and almost everybody was on this show. She, <laughs> she was also on the soap opera Falcon Crest, which everybody was also on. She was on that for 58 episodes. Notably, Parker Stevenson, who plays Craig, was also on that show for 12 episodes, but his stint ended one year before Dana Sparks' career started on on Falcon mm. Crest. Uh, so he never got them to cross over. Uh, now, also, uh, Michael Horton, uh, who plays one of the other friends, or I guess the other friend, uh, was on a show called Laser Tag Academy. And I, I, I just want to put that out there. It's an animated TV show. Um, also, he was on a show... That I have been trying to find for 20 years. And I, I, I've been trying to figure out what this show is. I had a, a, I have a memory of it from when I was a little kid. And I had nothing else to go on. Uh, and when researching uh, Michael Horton's IMDb, I clicked on this show called The Legend of Prince Valiant. And I saw screen, cra- sc- screen craps, screen caps, And I was like, oh, my God, that is the show I've been thinking about for 20 years. And it's an yeah. And it's an animated show that aired from 1991 to 1994. And I must have watched either some of it when it aired, when I was maybe like three or on a brief rerun afterwards. Uh, But it was unmistakably that show, uh, which is cool. But he didn't really do much on it. Um, And then. There's also one guy, Lenny Citrano, uh, on this show who plays Marv, uh, and he was on John Benjamin Has a Van, and I think that's cool. Uh, oh, that's awesome. Yeah, because that show is awesome, and he plays a thug. It's amazing. Yeah. Oh, okay. I can see that. Yeah. 
so that's everything we need to know about the episode, really. Sweet. Yeah, I guess uh, let's get into it then. This one's got a real great opening. It feels like we're in a music video. Um, There's some sort of what initially looks like a relay race or something, but I think maybe like lifeguard Olympics or something going on. It's the lifeguard games. The thing that got everybody sold on this show in the first place. Ah, I did not know that. Right. Cause remember, so what happened is, uh, Gregory Bonin took, uh, the other Michael Burke and William Schwartz to the lifeguard games. And that's when they said, Oh my God, we got to make this show. This is so cool. Gotcha. Okay, yeah, that probably is, like, a re- or this probably is a reference to that, then. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's actually really interesting. I did not make that connection at all. Yeah. But yeah, it's basically, it's a lot of slow-mo shots in silhouette, and people, like, doing push-ups and running and rowing and things like that. What kind of music was playing during this scene uh, for you? You know, I didn't write it down, but I remember all of the music in this just being very cheesy soft rock. Yeah, this this one I I described as soft butt rock. Do you know what butt rock is? Oh, yes. Okay, yeah, this is very much soft butt rock. It's like not hard enough to really be butt rock, but but it's still butt rock. Yeah, that sounds like it would fit this scene. I watched the first half of this episode like a week ago, so I don't remember. So well. <laughs> yeah, that's fair. Um, We get a couple more shots of all of these games and then we go to mitch and craig who are surfing together and craig is teasing mitch because mitch will just take any wave and craig's got to show him all the good spots and how to surf and things like that then we go to eddie he's on his lifeguard tower with uh one of our guest stars for this episode a new lifeguard by the name of Corey. Um, mm-hmm. a very busty woman gets out of a nine eleven, and both Eddie and Corey basically just like stare at her as she walks onto the beach. Wait, a nine eleven? Uh, like a Porsche nine eleven. It's the type of car. Oh, I, I was, I was like, what? <laughs> like, not, what? <laughs> okay, continue. <laughs> um, there's a lot of really cool cars in this episode, and I'm gonna talk about them. Sure, please do. Yeah, so Corey gives some excuse about how he's going to go off and patrol and basically just, like, walks around staring at this woman um, and then goes up to a random guy on the beach who we will later learn's name is Marv and says, there's a beautiful red Porsche in Lot 3. And Marv replies, what a shame. It would look better in black. And then he goes off and steals the car. Which would not look better in black. Completely agree. Porsches deserve to be in red. Exactly. Um, Or newer Porsches in their acid green. Like, yes, it's gaudy, but by the time you're buying like a GT3 RS, like you're already gaudy. So why not go acid green? (laughs) Yeah, acid green is, I think, an underrated color. Uh, It kind of it kind of shows even more so than the red that you have money. Mm hmm. Well, considering it's, I think it's like an $18,000 option. Um, yeah, it's, yeah, it's literally yep. just flushing money down the toilet. Yep. Next up, Mitch and Craig are tallying off and talking to the two guys from the beach earlier, um, who we assume are their competitors in the Olympics from the opening, the lifeguard games. 
And Mitch says that he's having rib fest at his house. <laughs> and the two guys say that Allison's going to be there. And Mitch and Craig give a very overacted look to each other that if this were a cartoon show would be uh, like Shaggy and Scooby turning to each other and going, Gulp. Yep, exactly. And then the two guys run off to go surfing and we follow them as they explain, in case you didn't catch it from the look, that Allison was a problem with Mitch and Craig's relationship. Ooh, was it ever. Oh, I hate this plot line so much. Uh, it, it, it has its moments. It, I'll get into it more later, but it so just plays Allison as a plot element for Mitch and Craig. Like, she has no agency throughout this entire episode she just does what the plot dictates whoa 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 she has one moment of agency but we'll get to that yeah it's yeah we'll get to it <laughs> yeah. um oh god <laughs> makes me angry um eddie and Corey are hanging around at the lifeguard hq and talking about the age where they first drove as we find out we think it's like virginity or making out uh yeah. no so that's definitely what is implied um but it gets really creepy because so Eddie says 14 and which is a reasonable age for both driving and whatever thing they're like insinuating. And then Corey says 10 because he gave his babysitter keys to the parents liquor cabinet and just none of that is OK. Uh, what makes this even worse is the fact that the babysitter was 16. So the implication is that he slept with a 16 year old while he was 10, yeah. which is like, what? And then you're like, OK, it can't be that. Maybe he like kissed the 16 year old babysitter. I'm like, so wait, bad. what? Still yeah. bad. Horrible. And then it drove and you're like, I mean, yeah, kind of still bad. <laughs> like, yeah. what, a, what a shit babysitter. Yeah. But yeah, the only other real important part of this scene is that Eddie says he doesn't have a car and Corey says he can hook Eddie up with a car. For two thousand dollars. Mm-hmm. Uh, also important is like it's one of our Shawnee moments. Cause we have a few Shawnee moments this episode where she's just she clearly does not like Corey. Uh, and she thinks that Eddie and Corey are boring because they only talk about cars. And Eddie says, like, what's more interesting than cars? Um, and given how this episode goes, pretty much nothing, nothing is more interesting than cars. Yeah. Yeah, or at least that's what the episode would have us believe. I mean, I, I do kind of agree, but, you know. <laughs> yeah. Now we're at the event that's been hyped this entire episode, and that is Ribfest. Uh, it consists of Mitch, Craig, and the two guys from earlier who are just kind of sitting on the couch drinking beer. Yeah. One of them asks, asks Mitch if he's ever heard of girls. Um, yeah. And which I just like like to remind you that Mitch is recently divorced. Mm -hmm. um, and then at five seconds later, they're they're all sh revealed that they were shocked that Mitch actually married Gail of all people, and they thought he would marry Allison. Ooh, ooh, plot drama. Mm-hmm. Um, and speaking of Allison, just as the ribs are ready. Allison shows up at the door and it's super tense between Allison, Craig and Mitch. I like it felt like um, 
the the Californians SNL skit where they do the like very close zooms on everyone's like shocked reactions would not have felt particularly out of place in this scene. This this episode has some really weird shot composition. It yes. really likes the zoom in on um it, it likes to zoom in on two people at, to convey an emotion that isn't necessarily the primary emotion uh, at times. In this case, it is the primary emotion. It is supposed to be sexual tension. Mm-hmm. But it's just very odd because it zooms in on their sexual tension and then cuts to Craig just like holding a plate of, you know, whatever. Just like, oh, I see what's going on here. Uh, and prepare for like 17 more scenes of that oh boy i think the worst example and we'll talk about it in a sec is the one at the end of the next scene um or the next full scene anyway but yes now we get a a quick scene of marv stealing a really nice classic mustang um and that's pretty much the whole scene he breaks in hot wires it and drives away um and then we're back to mitch's party and there's a whole bunch of people there everyone's having a good time um and the audio mixing in this scene is so bad that the dialogue is completely incomprehensible. Luckily, it's not in my version. Um, they talk about a story where Mitch and Craig swam naked. And when they got to the end of the buoy they were swimming to, they found rescue boats. And inside the rescue boat was Captain Thorpe shouting at them. What? Yes. Uh, this is... Back in the day. So this is when they were young, back when sure. Thorpe maybe wasn't lieutenant. So uh, Thorpe come, then gets them back to shore, gives them a blanket. And Craig says, oh, Allison, why were you with the rescue team? And Allison says, who do you think called the rescue team? And then Mitch says, oh, Craig, it took you 15 years to figure that out. And you never you never figured it out. And Allison lambasts him and says, well, Mitch, you never figured it out either. I had to tell both of you. (laughs) Uh, And then everyone laughs. And then Hobie comes up and they're like, hey, Hobie, earmuffs, adult talk. (laughs) Yeah, no, I literally could not hear any of that. I even rewound the scene like two or three times and the audio was mixed the music in the audio was mixed so loud that I could not understand a single word of dialogue in this entire scene. That's fair. Uh, I mean, I have the beauty of subtitles also, but yeah, I, it's mixed better in the remaster. Okay. Um, but yeah, basically this scene ends with a really long shot of Mitch and Allison slow dancing. Uh, it's also interesting because they're slow dancing and... This is the f- so there are um, there are some songs in this episode uh, that I cannot find the words to. This is the second one. There's four songs in this episode, mm-hmm. um, and it was the one at the very beginning of the episode. The soft butt rock couldn't find couldn't find it, and then this one, which is uh, in my version, it's clearly called Walls of Love because they keep talking about <laughs> Walls of Love, uh, but I can't find anything about it. And there's this shot. Uh, that I have actually screenshot. Uh, I'll probably put it somewhere in the call notes or we'll we'll tweet it out. But uh, it's just Craig bug-eyed staring at them dancing. And there's just a subtitle that just says, since I cried. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and it's so good. It's so good. Oh, 
man. Yeah, this whole Craig thing. So it's, yeah, it's Mitch and Allison dancing. And then Craig just like off in the background on the stairs, just staring at them melodramatically while the camera slowly zooms into his face. Yeah. It's some of the most sitcom, or not sitcom, the most soap opera-y shit I've ever seen. It's yep. so cheesy, and it just doesn't play. Yeah, it's it's all bad. Um, I could have gotten you the lyrics to Walls of Love, but no. Yeah. I, I, I was just <laughs> like, well, it's not as important as just... Craig is so it's hard to watch Craig in this episode because mm-hmm. like, you know, Craig is not necessarily as uh, mature as Mitch typically. And this is just an episode where you're like, eh. I mean, they're both immature, but Craig is just really immature this episode. Yeah. Yeah. Both Craig and Mitch this episode just act so much like just like frat boys. And it's so mm-hmm. infuriating. Yeah, or like adult men in 1989. Well, yeah. God, I'm glad I wasn't around for that. Yep. (laughs) As much as, like, I do love me some of the music and, like, the cars and things, overall, I feel like I'm not missing much. No, you're not. I mean, in the 90s wasn't much better. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it's true. Uh, Let's see. Next up, we've got Corey and Eddie. Uh, Corey's given Eddie the Mustang and Eddie does not believe it. There's a mildly amusing little fake out where he points out a still actually pretty decent looking Buick and is like, this is your car. And it's funny because I'm sure at the time that Buick was like, oh, that's an old person car and who would ever want that? Uh, but now I look at that Buick and I'm like, man, I'd love that car and I would (laughs) drive it. Um, but instead Corey's given Eddie this gorgeous classic Mustang in bright red. Um, and Eddie is like, well, how did $2,000 buy this car? And Corey is like, oh, my brother-in-law is tired of paying for premium gas and he'll be much happier with the Yugo, which I don't know if you're familiar with the Yugo as a car. No. Uh, it is famous for being literally the worst car ever made. Like worse than the Reliant Robin? Like, it was made in uh, Yugoslavia during, like, USSR times. And okay. is, like, like literally the worst car ever made. In what way? Uh, just in terms of, like, A, it's one of the most unsafe cars ever made. B, it just, like, falls apart all the time. Uh, C, gas mileage is no. Um, engine is technically um (laughs) like it's it's yeah um there's some really great videos out there of people trying to drive them in modern times Uh and its top speed is like 25 miles an hour it's um i I just googled it and yeah everybody talks every result is the worst car and like it's it's more of a punchline for comedians Mm -hmm. uh uh though there's an article I guess that talks about uh, how much it costs in Reagan's America. Uh, (laughs) And it says that people would pay 10 K for it, which is crazy. But yeah, it looks, it looks really, really bad, but it also just looks like what I think of when I think of an old car. Yeah. It's basically, it was similar to cars of the era in that they ripped off some of the design elements 
Um, and unlike Cars of the Era in that uh, it was completely terrible. <laughs> so what you're saying is that there's no way he'd be fine with his Yugo. Absolutely not. Especially okay. not coming from a classic 327 Mustang. Like, Okay, fair. Yeah. Which I'm, I'm really curious. I mean, obviously it's deliberate, but I'm curious like how much of the audience at the time would have caught that as the joke that it clearly is. Um, yeah. Uh, that's one of them 2020 jokes. Could be. We got some real... Uh, Real fortune teller writers on this show, <laughs> really just predicting uh, predicting twenty twenty. They knew all the all the all the rage would be uh, jokes about the Yugo and <laughs> um, a, I don't know Australian jokes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we'll have to we'll have to start a new segment where we catalog predictions from Baywatch that actually came true. I have a sneaking suspicion it will be short. That's so amazing. We actually should do predictions yeah. of the future. Uh, I don't know if they'll make many. Yeah, I don't think we've seen any yet. No, but we should try. Absolutely. Next up, we cut back to Craig and Gina's place where Craig's on the phone with Gina telling her about the party. Eddie comes home and overhears Craig talking about Allison and offers Craig a ride in the Mustang. But Craig is too sad. Uh, mm-hmm. Eddie doesn't understand why Craig would do the mature thing and tell Gina that Allison was at the party. And this is where I have the note. I hate this plot line. They're also jealous and petty mm-hmm. um, because basically like Eddie's like, why would you possibly tell your girlfriend that you ran into someone that you used to date 12 years ago? And Craig's like, because we like communicate and love each other and trust each other. And Eddie's like, I don't know, man, seems pretty (laughs) stupid to me. Uh, Eddie is stupid though. That's the thing. Yeah. But so is Craig and Mitch in this episode. Yep. Let's also point out here that Craig says what happened is that, uh, Craig and Allison were dating and then they broke up because Craig went away to college and he was just away and she started seeing Mitch and that was 12 years ago. So if we do some math here, that makes Craig around 34. That's what he's supposed to be. He's not 30 fucking four. No, no. Like, I mean, Parker Stevenson is 37 in this show. There's no way Parker Stevenson, the 37 year old, is passing as Parker Stevenson, a 34 year old. I don't know. He didn't look that much older than like early to mid 30s to me. Uh, Parker Stevenson, okay, this is mean, but Parker Stevenson to me looks like he's one, like he's one bedtime away from just going completely gray (laughs) and getting a walker. I I don't know. He just looks like he's on that very, very edge of, uh, getting like some sort of like ancient Baba Yaga curse (laughs) and finding out that he's aged 45 years in a night. Does that make sense? I honestly can't say I've ever noticed that. (laughs) Okay. Maybe it's just the high def that really, really sells it. (laughs) But yeah, like you were saying, basically Craig's talking about how like he says that Mitch stole her away, which is a whole recurring theme in this episode. And I really hate it because like I was saying earlier, it deprives Allison of any agency. Like, yes, it's not that she chose to leave Craig because he moved to New York without her. 
Um, it's that Mitch stole Allison away, and uh, Craig definitely isn't mad about this. He swears, not mad at all, couldn't be. Yep. Next, we go to another car heist scene. We've got Marv, who this time is stealing a late 70s BMW 3 Series. Uh, The only problem is the owner sees this happening because he's buying a hot dog on the beach and runs over to try and stop the thief. Uh, Marv drives away and hits the owner as Corey runs over to go save the owner because Corey is a lifeguard in this that we've never seen before. And lifeguards, as we know, are really EMTs, firefighters, police officers, you know, really just whatever the situation demands that they be. They guard lives, Morgan. All lives. Mm -hmm. Um, But it ends with a very long shot of him kind of like glaring in the direction of Marv. Um, which I thought was very funny. It was pretty good. Now we've got even more car content because Eddie is showing up to the beach to pick up Shawnee and show her his new car, and she absolutely loves it, uh, but does not believe that he would be able to afford it because, again, this car, they say later in the episode, would be worth eight to $9,000, which I was actually shocked how low that is. Like, this, that car today probably goes for 60 in that condition at least. Wow. Yeah. I mean, classic Mustangs of that era, like, because that's, I want to say that's a 60, or somewhere in the 60s anyways, and, like, there aren't a lot of clean examples of 60s anything still floating around these days. That's fair. So, yeah, they go for a little drive, and then we go to Mitch and Allison, who, according to them, have been up all night talking, but the conversation they have during this clearly indicates that they have never talked to each other before in their life and are just introducing the concept that they might be interested in each other. Well, uh, that's 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 kind of unfair to them. I mean... The, the first couple lines they say, I should have written down, but it's very clearly, like... They they do not have a, a moment before like, uh, oh, yeah, no. Yeah, no, because they they are just like they they have some drinks and they're talking uh, and they say something about, you know, what about us kind of like getting back together uh, and they could have been having that conversation all night. That's kind of the conversation. I don't know when I've had that kind of sort of conversation has happened at 1 a.m. in the morning, not like at 9 a.m. The the one part of this scene I did enjoy was Mitch's line when Allison says, oh, God, it's morning, which I, I have a lot of questions about the timeline of this, but whatever, it doesn't really matter because <laughs> clearly the writers have not put any thought into this. Um, but Allison's like, oh, we should start cleaning up. And Mitch goes, no cooking, no cleaning. That's reunion rules. <laughs> <laughs> we we need to make some sort of reunion ourselves and just be like, here's the rules. No cooking, no cleaning, no eating, no having fun, <laughs> no discussion of relationships, only hyper masculinity. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's the entire reunion is just rowing. Just 24-7. <laughs> well, no, 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 no. There's at least three hours in there that are getting your boat ready for the rowing. True, true. Everyone knows you have to polish the boat before you can row it, as we will later learn. 
before you can row it best. Mm-hmm. If you want to be a loser, yeah, you can take it out, but you got to polish it first so it really, you know, just rose down there. Mm -hmm. That does explain, and this is a slight spoiler for later in the episode, but whatever, how they managed to stop rowing for like five minutes and still win. I have an alternative theory. I have two alternative theories on this, but uh, we'll wait till we get there. Sweet. Um, But yeah, this scene ends with uh, Mitch and Allison making out. And then we go to Eddie and Shawnee again. Uh, More shots of the Mustang as Shawnee literally hangs off of Eddie. um, And they wash the car very badly. And it made me anxious to watch. Um, What was your music for this scene? uh, It was another. All of the songs in this episode sounded exactly the same. They were all just like generic, cheesy, soft butt rock. Like... Yeah, I have an original song. Ooh. And this one is a little a little sort of different. I actually I I'll, I'll tell you why. Mm-hmm. I I'll, I'll spoil a quick line for you just so you can get the tune here. Mm-hmm. Uh which is there's a part that goes I'm drunk on your love, you're my little dove, get me hotter than a shooting star. Ooh. Can't believe that you're my girl, my only one. Uh yeah. Yeah. It's a uh, it's very weird. Okay. So uh, this song is called My One Only by Tyson Kelly. And here are your lyrics. When I see you walking down the street, the cool wind blowing in your hair, there's not a guy six blocks around who, do- who doesn't notice that you are there. You're a real kind of woman, baby. <laughs> I knew the moment when we first kissed. <laughs> You turned me on without even trying. I think I'd like to get used to this. I'm drunk on your love. You are my turtle dove. Get me hotter than a shooting star. I can't believe that you're my girl, my only one. You're a real kind of woman, baby. I I knew the moment when we first kissed. You turned me on without even trying. I think I'd like to get used to this. I'm drunk on your love. You are my turtle dove. Get me hotter than a shooting star. Can't believe that you're my girl, my only one. I can't believe that you're my girl, my only one. Thank you. Wonderful. Wonderful. It's so bad. It's so, like, I have to send this to you later. Because this song is by far, I think, the corniest song, original song we've had on Baywatch. And we've had some corny songs. This is the corniest. Like, even cornier than that one song where a woman just goes, eh, 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 (laughs) for like a while. Like, this is the corniest. I mean, it makes sense because this whole scene, like... It's so it's so played and horny. I mean, it's just the two of them in white T-shirts spraying each other with hoses and like rubbing on the Mustang. Like it, it looks <laughs> like, the, like uh, what was it? The fucking Hardee's commercial. Oh, yeah, it does. It does look like a Hardee's commercial. This would be actually a good Hardee's commercial. Yeah, it's bad. And it makes me angry because they're scratching <laughs> the shit out of the paint on that Mustang. <laughs> Um, and also it's just needlessly horny, um, needlessly or very necessary. Yeah, that's a good point. (laughs) (laughs) 
Um, but yeah, the the two of them just spend this whole scene like flirting and making out. And then we go back to Mitch and Allison. Speaking of flirting and making out, the two of them are walking on the beach and Allison looks completely well put together. And Mitch looks like he's coming off a week long bender uh, mm-hmm. because he says, oh, man, I haven't stayed up all night in a long time and my legs hurt. <laughs> And he's wearing he's wearing a sleeveless tee, but it's almost like it's almost like wizard sleeve style. Like he's got one sleeve hanging down so that it's like just above his nipple. And Allison is in like a button up vest and her hair is perfectly done and her makeup is perfectly done. And she has like matching shorts and belt and everything. And Mitch is like ragged ass sweatpants and cut up tank top he looks like he just went for a run almost yeah yeah exactly which i mean that is the mitch buchanan look yeah that's fair but it was just it was very i felt like telling to me of like this show's attitude towards uh men and women that like the two of them are coming off theoretically a night of like staying up all night and drinking and talking and Allison still has to look like absolutely immaculate. And Mitch is just like, oh, I don't know, I fucking threw some clothes on. Here's my counter to that, which is mm-hmm. I don't know if this is supposed to be the same day because we never know. Baywatch kind of exists in this weird universe where instead of the Earth being the third planet from the sun, <laughs> it's maybe like the second or fourth you know i i forget a lot of my my astronomy so i don't remember if it should be inner in the circle or more outside of the circle to have shorter days uh no it's inside the circle so it's closer to the yes. sun shorter shorter days would be closer to the sun right so maybe it's where venus is um and instead uh now this is the fever dream we have after being exposed to the greenhouse gas effect uh that happens on venus and the acid rain melting us literally uh Mm -hmm. but i i like to think that their days are just different from our days that would make a lot of sense the toxic gas in the atmosphere would also explain a lot of the bad acting uh as everyone's brain slowly dies yeah, uh, it would also explain why Captain Thorpe exists. Uh, yeah, yeah. dude is definitely an alien. Absolutely. Oh, man, his scene, his one line or like two lines in this episode, uh, we're going to get to it. But yeah. oh boy, it really cements that that man is an alien. I, I like this canon theory that he is just like a men in black character who's yeah. they're, like they're trying to hide the fact that he exists among us. I think that's a great... There's so many good theories about this episode. Yeah, yeah. I mean, honestly, almost any theory you can come up with can't be worse than the actual episode. <laughs> uh, debatable, but yeah. <laughs> yeah, so we're we're on the beach with uh, Allison and Mitch, and they're talking about Hobie, and Allison says something like, you know, I can see the light in your eyes whenever... Hobie walks in and Mitch goes, no, that's fear, Um, which is a weird line to say about your kid. That's the best line ever, Um, though. (laughs) But then Allison's response to that is, well, I could take him for a bit. I could use some of that fear in my life. Um, She's a marine biologist, by the way, so I'm not sure what she plans to do with him unless unless she plans to turn him 
into a fish monster, which pulls it all full circle to our fan fiction we're reading where, uh, spoilers, Mitch is also, uh, a merman sort of. Uh, so I think really she came back into town to study Mitch for his weird aquatic properties, but she's getting saliva samples from him. Via, you know, mouth-to-mouth transfer. Hobie, she's just going to dissect. To to build on that a little bit, my suspicion here is that um, her and Captain Thorpe are rival uh, races of alien. Ooh. Here to study Mitch and bring him back to their planet for further experimentation. I like this theory. Uh, in my in this theory, also, I think the only actual normal real human in this entire show is Jill. Yeah, if there's only going to be one, Jill, Jill would probably be it. Yeah, I can't. Shawnee, Shawnee is more like f- f- fire creature. Yeah, totally. <laughs> she's very, she's very salamander, and not because she's like lizard like, but she's just very very fire demon like. Mm-hmm. And of course, Eddie is just an orc. Oh yeah, totally. Yeah, this scene basically ends with uh, Mitch and Eddie. Or, wow. The scene basically ends with Mitch and Allison making out some more on the beach. Mm -hmm. Um, Next, we've got Eddie trying to show off his Mustang to Trevor. uh, But Trevor knows literally everything about it. And you can watch Eddie's ego get deflated. And I quite enjoyed it. Mm -hmm. Um, Especially the part where he says, well, you know about cars? I thought you guys knew only about koalas and kangaroos. (laughs) Yeah, that was a line. And yeah, Trevor's basically like, how did you get this car so cheap? Um, And Eddie's like, I don't know, I got a good deal. And Trevor says, open the hood for me real quick or pop the bonnet, I believe he says. Yeah, the bonnet. And he points out to Eddie that the serial number on the engine is filed off and so it's stolen. Um, Specifically, he says, it's a hot car. And Eddie says, yeah, I know. Isn't it great? And then he goes, no, look, it's stolen. It's good writing, I guess. Is it bad writing? I don't know. You tell me. It's just so obvious. Like <laughs> to us. I mean, yeah, <laughs> I, don't know. I just I don't know if it's that bad. I mean, it's not, you know, yeah, wave of the future writing, but it's I, I didn't think this thing was necessarily bad. Uh, is I mean, it's a way to introduce to Eddie that, yeah, he got really emasculated and uh, someone ripped him off. And no one in this episode is shown as being better at just delivering bad news and pissing people off than Trevor. That is very true. <laughs> um, speaking of uh, some bad news, we cut to Craig and the two guys from earlier. The two guys from earlier are partnered up polishing their boat and Craig's polishing his boat. Um, by which I mean, he's got a dish rag and he's just like aimlessly wiping it back and forth (laughs) on the edge of this little rowboat. Yep. Um, and then you can see him like glaring off into the distance and it cuts to Mitch and Allison who are still making out back to Craig and he yells, good morning. And Mitch and Allison, like, look up, look at Craig, and then make out a little bit more, and then Mitch walks over to... Oh, no, it's better than that, even. Craig shouts good morning, and Mitch shouts, yeah, and then he makes out. (laughs) (laughs) Um, 
Once Mitch gets to the boat, he offers to help Craig polish the boat, and Craig's like, don't worry, it's done already. Um, And it turns out that Craig's like, why were you late? And Mitch is like, I said I'd be here around 8. And then Craig goes, it's 10.30. Um, Which, I mean, fair. Two and a half hours is a little late. Um, But then they have a whole big argument about how, you know, Craig owes Mitch money. For a Jeep? For a Jeep, and and Craig has Mitch's watch, and then, I mean, it's it's all just a front for them being mad about Alex. Oh, it's obvious, yeah. Yeah, yeah, it's not even a little bit disguised. Um, and the two of them start punching each other and have to get pulled off each other. And then we get another quick scene with Eddie and Corey in the locker room, where Eddie's trying to get his money back from Corey for the car, and it's so overplayed. Mm-hmm. Like, uh, it has Eddie like slamming Cre- or slamming Corey into a locker, and uh, Jill pops by briefly to be like, "Is everything okay?" Even though it's clearly not. And Eddie goes, "Yeah, it's okay," and she walks off. And I don't understand why we needed that. Uh, oh, I, I I took it as more of Jill authoritatively going, "Is everything okay?" And then being like, "Ah, shit, we have to break it up now." Where she's just like saying, "Is everything okay?" to make them stop because they they don't want to like deal with either Jill telling someone or Jill outranks them also. So I think it was more just like, ugh, supervisor is watching. Okay, let's break it up. Yeah, that's fair. But they do then keep going for a bit and nothing ever comes of it. Uh, uh, I mean, it's sort of does sort of. later, but I don't think it's necessarily related to this. But yeah, I mean, it's just, it's, it's, yeah, it's nothing particularly special. Um, no, I, Jill is just on her way there while she's also on her way to watch Craig lift aggressively. Mm-hmm. Yeah, she's just playing the therapist in this episode, basically. Yeah. Um, she yeah comes in on Craig, who's lifting weights very aggressively, and basically is like, what's going on? And Craig is like, I'm still mad that Mitch stole Allison, which I really still just want to stress how much I hate that that's a plot in this episode. Uh, uh, it's not that it's like, and it's a bad plot point as much as it is badly handled. Um, like, yeah, he could still be upset about it because, you know, m- jealousy, immaturity, whatever, but it's just all done <laughs> so badly. Yeah. No, I think, I think the like reasonable way you do this plot line is, is, like, you have one character, you have two characters who had a crush on the same person, and the person, like, chooses to date one of those two people, and the other one is, like, resentful about it. Like, that's still shitty immature behavior, but at least it's not saying that, oh, my friend, like, stole my girl from me. And it was entirely a thing that he did, and, like, the girl had no agency or, like, any part of this, and I'm only mad at him. Like, that's that's why it's, like, shitty and frustrating to me. Yeah. Um, This scene is also weird because it has Jill and Craig uh, get into a very oddly framed tight shot. Um, It's usually only used for sexual tension, but they're, like, maybe... I don't know, a few inches away from each other. And it's just, they're at equal height also. 
Um, and Jill is not like backing off. She's just like staring him straight in the eye. He's staring her straight in the eye. And he's like clearly like angry, but it's not like shouting angry. I don't know. It's just very oddly. Uh, it's it's very oddly done. I don't know. It's it's usually a sexual tension shot and it's just yeah. used for something normal. It almost felt like this was the best and or only take they got of this scene, but there was something going on in the background by mistake. So like they had to in editing tighten this shot up quite a bit. Yeah, that that seems likely. Oh. We have another montage. Oh boy, do we. So, first off, what is your song? Uh, I mean, again, it was just this like real soft, cheesy rock. Like, uh, so I, on the other hand, got something different. We kind of got like a soft rock soul number. Um, and this is called Never Far Away, and it's by Robbie Wyckoff. This guy's pretty cool, actually. So he was a touring musician with Roger Waters, uh, with, um, wow, I made a really bad uh, error here. And I'm like, I, I know uh, I, I wrote Keith Merson. That's not at all a person. Um, uh, I don't even know who I met. It's a, it's a Merson. <laughs> it's, it's a Mer person. Like, like Mitch is one of his people. Um, so with Roger Waters, Eddie Vedder, Diana Ross, Natalie Cole, and Michael McDonald. Also, he does... He's done music for the soundtrack for Disney shows such as Phineas and Ferb and Gravity Falls. So I think that's really cool. Um, The lyrics to this song are, Never far away, I'll be there, right where you are. Never far away, when you're feeling like it just ain't far. Close your eyes and we'll be there. Just believe. There's more that you can see. And I'm right where you are. And never far away. There to move you through it all. We're the heroes standing guard. Just believe it's here for you to see. And I'm right where you are and never far away. Like an angel in the darkness, the light will shine on you. You know we'll be here waiting to see you through. We'll be there in your time of need. So hold on tight and just believe. Just believe we'll be there. Yeah. And never far away. (laughs) We'll be there in your darkest hour. So just hang on and feel the power. We'll be there and never far away. We're right where you are. We'll be there in your time of need. So hold on tight and just believe. Just believe. We'll be there. Now, mind you, all this is happening (laughs) during more lifeguard games. So none of this is fitting at all. Yeah. Unless it's supposed to play off of the theme song. Uh, like I'll be ready, but like other than that, this makes no sense. Yeah. That does not feel like a fitting song for this at all. Nope. You need something more like upbeat and not just like, I don't know, weird, hopeless romantic or something. I feel like it should just be, uh, um, like you're the best around. Nothing's going to ever keep you down. You know, it should just be that. Or, Or like eye of the tiger or something. Or, like, the final countdown. Yeah. Or... There's so many good 80s hype songs. Y- there are. to play this, like, smooth jazz ballad over, like, aggressive rowing. If anything, they should just play... Like, even Kraftwerk would be better than this. Like Totally. Like, this is just the most 
unexciting choice. Um, speaking of unexciting, we've got a pretty unexciting scene next, which is that Trevor talks to Mitch about how he's totally cool with the fact that Mitch, quote unquote, stole Allison because Trevor dated his brother's ex-girlfriend and therefore he's okay with this and that means it's okay. But the show is framing it as actually this is not okay and it's very confusing, but it does have a line from Trevor that I absolutely love. Oh, I think I know which line this is. Oh, I'm sure you do because it made me very uncomfortable and it is very funny. Uh, which is Trevor says that when a man and a woman share a scent, the law of the jungle takes over. <laughs> yep, that's the line. <laughs> oh. No. It's so bad. No, Trevor. No, I mean, Trevor is the epitome in this show of a problematic fave because he's the worst. He's like mm-hmm. the goddamn worst, but he has these moments of character growth where you're like, yeah, buddy, good job. And like, I enjoy listening to him, but he's also the worst. He's the absolute worst. Yeah. Uh, next up, Mitch is back at home, flipping through a filing cabinet, looking for a receipt that would prove that he paid Craig back for that Jeep. Uh, when Allison comes in and she very correctly says that Mitch didn't steal her, Craig chose to leave. Um, and then Mitch goes, no, no, no. But when you left, when Craig left, he told me to look over you. And then she right. leaves because Mitch is being misogynistic and shitty. Um, but don't worry, even though it looks like she has agency briefly, she will come back when the plot demands it. So it's really cool uh, because the first line of this scene is Allison comes in and asks, does the word infantile mean anything to you? Um, Which is great. Um, And then Mitch pulls this whole, you know, the rule is don't date your best friend's girl, which I mean, you should probably talk with them before you do that. That's just, you know. You just should. Um, And then she says, oh, is that what we did? Date? Uh, And clearly she's supposed to be put in a position of power because also, again, she's like, oh, yeah, we're adults now. Um, And then she when he asked her to stay, she says she can't. And it's supposed to be that. But then all the power is taken away later. Uh, Also in this scene, the music that plays is yeah. what I can best describe as serial killer music, yeah. uh, which is very odd. I, I think what you said of like it looking like she has the power in this scene is part of what makes it so infuriating to me, because it feels like the writers were almost there at a couple points, where they like almost got that they were writing a really shitty plot line right. and shouldn't do it, um, but then they undercut her at every single possible opportunity, and yeah... That's classic. I mean, that's a lot of the, that's what I feel watching any show from this time period. Um, you know, that's yeah. nothing, nothing different, unfortunately. Um, at least she had a moment of power, but you know, it's all cut away later. Uh, so next up, we're at a diner with Craig and Mitch and the two guys from the reunion. Um, one of them brought Mitch there and then the other one's bringing Craig like a second later. Um, 
the same diner that we always see. This is the diner where Craig eats. This is the one where uh, I guess um, Gail did restaurant reviews. Uh, like it's always it's the same exact set that they just always give a different neon sign to. Uh, and I kind of love that. OK, I thought so. I was going to ask you about that because it looked like the same one. It's it's totally the same one. Like they're just they just shoot it from different spots, and they're always in the same table as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, this time they shoot it diagonal instead of like a straight on. Uh, but yeah, it's the same exact set. Yeah. Okay. I'm glad it wasn't just me then. But yeah, it turns out that the two friends have tricked Mitch and Craig into reconciling. And one of the two friends apologizes for bringing Alice into the reunion because, again, she has no agency of her own. Um, and it turns out, actually, neither Cra- neither Craig nor Mitch actually owe each other money. Um, they both just forgot that they paid each other back. Right. Uh, despite the fact that neither of them actually owe each other money, uh, Mitch blames Craig for Allison leaving Um, And definitely not that just like he has shown himself to be apparently a pretty shitty partner. Um, And then we leave the diner and go see Corey, Marvin, Eddie. Um, Corey tells Eddie that actually, Eddie, you can keep the money and the car because I've got a golden opportunity for you Um, and goes, hey, Marv. And Marv is standing. Hmm three inches behind Eddie and just like whips around and introduces himself to Eddie. And it was very funny to me. If even that. Yeah, it's, I mean, my, my note for this scene is like basically, so to just wrap it up real quick, they're trying to convince Eddie to become a car thief as well. And he's super not into it until he all of a sudden is, but it really, it felt like, like an anti-bullying PSA. Like, it was so overplayed and cheesy. Um, Next up, we've got what I think is possibly the only good scene in this episode, uh, which is a heist scene. Um, I mean, you know, heist, I'm using very loosely here. Um, But a woman lays out her blanket and tucks her keys under the corner of it. Um, and then Eddie walks over to the blanket and drops his buoy floaty thing by quote unquote accident. And as he bends down to pick it up, he also picks up the keys and then he heads back to the tower and hands them off to Corey, who then goes further down onto the beach and hands them off to Marv. Um, and Eddie's watching all of this through his binoculars. And then we cut to Mitch in the truck who radios Jill and Craig to be like, hey, I think something's going down. And Jill is like, oh, yeah, I saw Eddie watching these specific people through his binoculars. Um, And that's how I know what's happening from a different tower. um, She could tell exactly who Eddie was looking at through his binoculars. Um, But okay, Um, And... So the three of them alert the cops and there's a very slow and very short, quote unquote, chase scene in the parking lot that moves, uh, what would you say, 10 feet, I think, before it ends. Um, But the ending is cool. It's amazing. Do you want to talk through it? Oh, no, please. You do it. All right. So, yeah, um, 
basically garner or a police car shows up and marv shoots at the cop car and it spins out despite moving at three miles an hour in a parking lot Mm -hmm. (laughs) and then garner's behind a different car and shoots at marv once or twice but then he swings open a parking gate and then we cut back to marv in the car who is still like feet away from this parking gate um but just doesn't seem to see it in time or be able to stop and final destination style this parking gate goes straight through both the windshield and the rear window of this car um and thankfully does not go through marv's face because that would be horrifying for this show <laughs> that would be the most amazing turn <laughs> for baywatch it's like whoa baywatch wow right? yeah but yeah basically when this happens um marv like rolls out of the car and garner arrests him um and then Corey sees all of this going down somehow and knocks out eddie in one hit with the buoy and runs away and runs past craig's tower so craig starts to give chase um and mitch in the truck approaches from the opposite direction and Corey sees that he's been trapped so he runs into the water and makes it a couple feet in before Mitch and Craig yep. grab him and arrest him. Never go into the water because then you're just going to swim out and then you're going to drown. Yeah. Or you're going to swim out and then you're like, I got nowhere. Exactly. Yeah. The water seems like the worst possible place. Like, you know that one of the two people are in a truck. So what you do is you run into a crowd of people where the truck can't go, not into the water. Like, but also you're going into the water and one of the people, AKA the people in the truck has a record for being a faster swimmer than you. Exactly. So like he's going to catch you if not Craig. Exactly. Um, yeah, it turns out no one in this episode is written very smart. No. Then Garner goes to Eddie's tower and is like, Hey, you know, you're not keeping that Mustang, right? Like, right. It's getting turned over and Eddie's kind of like, oh, OK. And then it's time for the much hyped boat race. Yes. Um, and we get Captain Thorpe announcing it in his best radio announcer voice um, <laughs> and makes a joke that absolutely kills him. Um, for context here, these are rowboats with two, mm-hmm. person, two people to a boat. Uh, This will be important because the way Captain Thorpe announces the start of this race is to go, gentlemen, start your engines (laughs) and fires a gun. And it was so funny. I thought it was funny. Yeah. Yeah. It's funny because it's not funny. It's so unfunny. And he gives the weirdest fake laugh I've ever heard. But he's definitely it definitely fits with Captain Thorpe's character to find that funny. He's totally an alien who doesn't understand humans. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's it's like peak tier dad joke. Oh, yeah, absolutely. So, yeah, now we're at the race. And despite Mitch and Craig earlier having been like, maybe we aren't going to be a team for this. uh, They are a team because, yeah, duh. It was never in in question. And they're arguing the whole time about how Mitch shouldn't have dated Allison because she was mine. And which, oh, God, we've talked enough about how that's shitty. Um, And Mm -hmm. so they're 
getting close to the point of the race where you would turn around and row back to the beginning when they just stop rowing for a while. Yep. And Mitch is basically like, listen, we're in love and that's why I did it. And Craig goes, oh, wait, really? Shit. That's all you had to do was tell me that. And then it's totally fine. And they start <laughs> rowing again and they win. Like, Yeah, he, he specifically is like, that's super dumb that that's what's causing this between us. Like, that's really dumb. Let's go. <laughs> it's like, what did you think was going on, Craig? Like, but at the same time, like. You know, it, different circumstances leading up to it. If I didn't have that information, I would react. Yeah, that's super dumb. Let's just go. Mm-hmm. Uh, but he has all the context. So you're the dumb one. Yeah, it's it makes absolutely no sense. Um, and yeah, somehow they win the race despite again, like it's what it's like literally a solid 30 to 45 seconds that they just completely stop rowing and you can see shots of everyone else rowing and like looking at them like, uh, what are you two doing? Uh, uh, and I, I have two theories. Remember, I have two theories oh, yeah. for their win. Uh, the first theory, <laughs> it's the, it, I don't like this theory as much. <laughs> and this theory is that, um, in the wide shots, you can clearly see that that is not David Hasselhoff and Parker Stevenson. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of them is very pasty white. And so instead, they got they replaced them with other people who are better at this than everyone else. <laughs> and that's how they want. Here's my second theory, though. Mm-hmm. And this requires, if you don't have it, I'll explain it. But some knowledge of the Pokemon TV show. Do you have any? Uh, I don't, but I did literally this morning start playing a Pokemon game for literally the first time in my entire life, other than Pokemon Go. So this is good timing. Which one? Uh, Shield. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) But why? Uh, I don't know. I just was like, I need a new video game, and I've always been curious about the Pokemon games. Hades wasn't cutting it anymore? I've put in about uh, like 150 hours, um, so I think I've just burnt myself out. On that's it. fair. That's, that's my feeling, especially when I, you know, started in early access like two years ago, and now everybody's like, "Why aren't you playing it more?" It's like because I played it a lot over yeah. the course of two. Anyways, yeah. so oh boy, here do I start with this? So I assume you know that the main character of the Pokemon TV show is Ash, right? Like you know, everybody knows that. Um, and Pikachu. So at the end of the first season of Pokemon, uh, which is the in quotes, the Kanto League, because Kanto is the the region that the first part of Pokemon takes place in. Uh, they go to like the championships uh, and they don't win. They they come in like 13th or something like Ash doesn't do well in Pokemon. He's not a good. Yeah. Hasn't hasn't he only ever won once in the entire run of the series? Yeah, it was like last year or two years ago, except for one other time. Oh, uh, but sh- and that is what we're going to talk about okay. right after uh, Ash does the first series. Um, this is in between Pokemon uh, Yellow. So Yellow was released after Red and Blue mm-hmm. uh, because they cashed in on the, the franchise by having the main character be Pikachu instead. So. After between Pokemon Yellow and then the next generation, which was Gold and Silver. Mm-hmm. And for Gold and Silver, they had their own TV show, which was the Jotho 
League, which is that region of Pokemon. So they had that Pokemon series. But there was a time in between where they um, they they hadn't released the games yet, but the show had just taken off like crazy uh, in America. Like it was all the rage. And so they needed some new content. And they thought maybe we can get some like ideas of what some of the new Pokemon are from Nintendo. I mean, Nintendo is making the show, mm-hmm. but like from Game Freak, who who makes Pokemon. Right. So they decided let's let's make some new content. Let's use some of the some of the new Pokemon ideas and and make like an entirely sort of non-canon series. And they called it the Orange League. And so the Orange League was so Ash gets a Lapras, and him and his friends just surf from island to island by surf i mean they sit on the back of this thing <laughs> and they just and lapras is basically like you know a giant loch ness monster it looks like uh it looks like a pool floaty like one of those like flamingo rings or flamenco rings it, yeah it does look like one of those but if that could also shoot ice out of its mouth mm-hmm. um and so they sit on this Lapras and they just go and they go from island to island and at each of these gyms there's four gyms uh, and you beat the four gems, you go to the league. Um, now, first, let me because the interesting part is the gems, not the league. Mm-hmm. Let me describe the league first. The <laughs> league actually wins. So what happens is uh, they're just normal Pokemon battles. What had happened was Ash went to the safaris. This is really <laughs> anybody listening to this has to know Pokemon for this to really make sense. But I'm going to go for it anyways. Ash goes to the Safari Zone in the Kanto League where you can go and it's basically just a free range Yellowstone area. But you can catch as many Pokemon as you want, given a certain amount of time and money Mm -hmm. that you have. So he captures 60 of the exact same Pokemon, (laughs) um, which is a Tauros, which is just a bull. Uh, And they're all back at home with Professor Oak. So Ash is like. Huh, you know, maybe I should use some new Pokemon. <laughs> and he's like, I'm going to bring out Pokemon that I haven't used in the rest of this show, like in the rest mm-hmm. of this entire show. So he's like, I'm going to bring back this one. I'm going to bring back that one. And at the end, he's just like, you know what? I'm going to bring back a Tauros. I'm just like, <laughs> going to bring back one. And there's just that one Tauros that really loves him for some reason. Uh, and it just does amazing. It's just, it's like the coolest thing. And he's like hugging this Tauros that is previously only known captivity. And now again, a new form of captivity uh, and has really never met Ash before, but it's just like, I love you, man, for saving me from that captivity. Uh, and he, he wins the league. He actually wins, but it's so non-canon. Nobody gives a shit nor remembers it. Now, interesting. The gym battles themselves. They're not Pokemon battles. Instead, what they are is like obstacle courses or like other activities. So it's like what you got to do is you got to do this challenge. And if you do this challenge that favors me, uh, you win my badge. So for uh, one of the gyms, the, the it's literally this challenge. It's you swim around a buoy and back. Uh, but they add the element of there's also targets and your Pokemon has to like shoot at the targets. Uh, and just, you know, there's an added, added element. So they're swimming here and uh, Ash figures out that like he's using Lapras, but his Lapras isn't as fast as the other as the gym leaders Pokemon. So he's like, I got a harebrained idea. What if I turn my entire track into ice and we just slide on it? <laughs> <laughs> so Lapras uses the ice beam 
raises the water and then it's just eh, eh, like <laughs> frictions on the ice and it's just sort of sort of like flopping there and and ash the whole time is going yeah lapras yeah keep moving <laughs> and she's she's just like sort of flailing there because she just has to like move her stomach across the ice while while like sliding but it's faster than swimming uh and ash wins and the gym leader is like Wow, that was really creative. No one's ever thought of that before. And Ash says, yeah, I'm a genius. So my theory is that Parker Stevenson summoned his Lapras and turned everything <laughs> into ice and they slid their way to victory. And that is my Pokemon tangent. Yeah, I mean, that definitely fits the canon of the rest of this episode. You're welcome. I mean, of course, like, this is all really stupid because there are other people there who are clearly fitter and younger than Craig and Mitch. They should have won. Even their friends should have won. I mean, one of their friends is basically uh, um, just beat Geraldo Rivera, but, you know... He should have won. Like I, I don't know. It's it's bad. <laughs> um. Yeah. Much like the rest of this episode, it's it's bad. Um. We've got one more very brief scene, which is that we're back at Mitch's house, and now that he's won, Allison shows up because she has no agency and must be a prize for Mitch because he has won the race and become very mildly more mature. And uh, Hobie asks if things are about to get sappy, because if so, he wants to leave. And Mitch tells him, you better run far away. Um, And yeah, that's the end of the episode. She I would like to point out, she continues the trend of um, random women in the show having the most Ungapachka pattern outfits. Uh, (laughs) It's just so wild. And I I don't get it. Um, But. Yeah, this episode, I, I don't think it's as bad as the last one, but it's not great. Yeah, I, I'm i hard-pressed to pick between these two. Yeah, so on a, on a scale of 1 to 10, of course, where 1 is you're walking on the beach, it's very muddy, and you're stepping on some twigs, and they just mm-hmm. keep on pressing into your foot, and ow, it hurts. And 10 being sniffing Mitch's abs, where would it land? I'm going to give it about a three and I'm going to say a three is the experience of, uh, having your car stolen. (laughs) Okay. Yeah. That's, that's pretty bad. Uh, I, I'm going to give it a five actually. I, I think there were moments of it that I found interesting. Uh, what we didn't point out was the fact that at least for me, even though there were four musical numbers, it didn't feel like there were that many musical numbers. I don't know. I felt like an, a lot of stuff happened. Uh, even with the four musical numbers, that stuff wasn't necessarily good, but stuff happened, uh, which is uh, not something I can say for some other episodes. So I'll give it that. It was bad. Yeah. Uh, it was a bad episode, though, and I don't like the way they wrote Allison. Yeah. So it's a five, and I would say a five is uh, me as a child watching Ash decide that he should make the track into ice and thinking that's a great idea. Because uh, <laughs> that is, that, that my friend is a five out of the ten in terms of ideas. It's just, yeah. 
it it did technically work, but it doesn't mean it was a good idea. It didn't work because that whole season is not canon. Like, so what happens is the only few parts of it that are canon are so Brock leaves temporarily at the end of the first series of Pokemon because he wants to he basically wants to hook up with this researcher. Uh, Mm -hmm. So he stays and he's like, she cares about Pokemon a lot. And I think she's hot and she'll talk to me. So he like stays to maybe hook up. So instead this photographer named Tracy comes in and Tracy is the protagonist of Pokemon snap. So that's how they tie that in. So Tracy comes in and he has like a new Pokemon that everyone's like, oh my God, what? And this was, there was this gimmick, this myth of Pokeblue who everyone was like, oh my God, maybe this is like a super God Pokemon. It's just a, mm-hmm. just a, just a water mouse. Um, and he is like, you know, does his thing and he likes to take Poke- uh, pictures of Pokemon and Misty is still there. Uh, but it's, it's not, it's not canon. Like the only other thing that's really canon is the Pokemon that Ash gets. Like he gets a Snorlax. That's pretty cool. He has his Lapras, which he gives away. Uh, Charizard isn't really there at all. He has his Tauros. Uh, I mean, that, that is cool. Hold on. Um, I am, I'm going to be definitive about this. Okay. Ash Pokemon. Orange islands. I also didn't realize Pokemon Snap had a protagonist or a story or anything. It doesn't. Just Oh, okay. No, it doesn't have a it doesn't have a story. It does have a protagonist though. Ah. It does have Tracy. Uh let's see. Um um Wait a second. Let's see. Um there's got to be. This has got to be on Bulbapedia. <laughs> Here, wait. Okay, so they, they count it as like Kanto and Original Islands. Okay, wait. This is important work, Morgan. Oh, yeah. It's what I it's what I rack myself with every day. Mm-hmm. Oh, my God. Were there only... There are only 36 episodes of the... Of the Orange Islands. And... Wow. So, like... <laughs> it's really funny... Uh, the previous set of episodes, the first season, the first series, and I don't know how we're going to fit this in, whatever, we'll, we'll move stuff around. Yeah, we'll, here, we'll figure it out. Was 80 episodes in the English anime, which was Pokemon episode one until, you know, the series ends. And then Orange Islands was 36 episodes. And then uh, from there, they go on to the next, you know, Pokemon series, which is... Um, you know, they have the new Pokemon and that's 41 episodes. And then from there, they also in that same set of challenges, they're like, okay, well now here's season two of that. And that's 52 episodes. And then they have another section of, of that same uh, season or series of Pokemon. And that's 64 episodes. Uh, so too confusing. So they have a bunch of episodes and the orange islands is just next to nothing. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and this is also linked to the Wikipedia article called Pokemon Episodes Removed from Rotation uh, on Wikipedia. Um, so uh, Ash's Orange Islands team was basically uh, his Pikachu, his Bulbasaur. Oh, I guess he did have his Charizard, his Squirtle, his Lapras, his Snorlax, and then his uh, his uh, Tauros. Uh, and then Lapras does leave his team. 
Snorlax doesn't really ever fight ever anywhere. And then Ash is like, you know what? You guys did good, especially you, Tauros, guy who I never gave any love and only used this one time and turned out he was actually very capable and loves me and really just likes being played with. I'm going to get rid of all of you because uh, I want a fresh start. But Pikachu, you're coming with me because you're always here, buddy. And it's like, okay. And then like at one point he calls in to Professor Oak during the middle of the next series. He's like, how are my Pokemon? And they're all like there and they're like is ash there like they don't say that because they're like tauros uh because they can't speak english but um they're all like is ash there and professor oak is like yeah you should play with them and ash says no nah, i'm busy <laughs> just, just like nope not gonna use any of you uh and i feel like this is really really mean he has 60 60 bull pokemon he's just like i don't give a shit <laughs> randomly throughout the series that he calls back and He's like, what's new with my Pokemon? And every single time, Professor Oak goes, well, yeah, the Tauros broke down the fence again, and they're just <laughs> rampaging everywhere. Wow, maybe you should, like, check on them, Ash. Yeah, or set them free. Uh, no, set them free. <laughs> you were in captivity. They must be raised in captivity. Uh, they actually don't have, in the Pokemon games, they've never established a spot in the in the map in the original where Tauros live other than captivity uh in this safari zone uh so i don't know where the fuck they're supposed to live other otherwise um so it, it kind of represents a weird weird thing about animal cruelty i mean pokemon is animal cruelty but yeah, yeah i've never really thought about that until now um and hope you enjoy <laughs> Pokemon <laughs> Shield now that you know it's all about animal cruelty. I mean, I, I knew that much, at least, about Pokemon even before I went in. Yeah, it also has, you know, forces standards of beauty upon you with the beauty pageants. And then... There's beauty pageants? Maybe they got rid of that. They used to have that before, where it's like, yeah, you have, like, beauty pageants, where it's like you would have to do, like, tasks to like raise certain stats so that then they would like do well at these pageants and then um, they would also have a oh. skill so like pikachu had like his like iron tail and it'd be like oh you you do that and you like you hit something and it'd be like wow look how how well refined his tail is uh yeah it's a whole there's a whole bunch of mechanics in pokemon um yeah you know uh pokemon pokemon's crazy and weird yeah I, I only have two complaints about the game so far, and I've only played like two, three hours or something. Okay. My, my two complaints are, one, a lot of the NPCs have really cool fashion that they won't let me buy, and I'm mad about it. Mm -hmm. I like their clothes or I like their hair, and, and they won't let me buy it. Yeah, that's fair. That's fair. And as a, as a sub point of that, um, there's a makeup editor um, but what they mean by makeup is the size of your eyebrows, the color of your eyebrows, and the color of your eyes. That's it. That's what they classify as makeup. Well, that's all that they, that's all they can render. <laughs> yeah. um, and then my second complaint is that how in the year 2020 am I still only allowed to use 12 characters to name my Pokemon with? That's not enough, and it's stifling my creativity, and a lot of my pun names are too long for 12 characters, and I'm angry about it. It's not stifling your creativity, because your creativity in Pokemon is supposed to be related around, like, blue humor, um, sort of. So you're supposed to just call things like, but, butts, 
see, I tried to do that, but they have a like curse filter. What? Like I tried to name, I tried to name Diglett Chode and it told me you're not allowed to name it that. Oh, that's new. Okay. Well, I haven't played Pokemon in a while. Uh, that's, <laughs> that's really unfortunate because it is just a Chode. Um, yes. um, I ended up naming him Beer Can Steve, which I think is really funny. Um, <laughs> I mean, I was going to suggest Chode Wang, but <laughs> I don't know if the censor would stop Chode Wang. But yeah, Beer Can uh, Steve is also very good. <laughs> I like that. Yeah, I think, uh, you know, Pokemon for me hit a peak when I was playing it back in the day. Whenever I want to go back to like Pokemon, there was this uh, totally legal, y'all, hmm. uh, fan version called Pokemon Uranium that was made that... Uh, that nintendo took down and uh, i still have that and whenever i feel like pokemon i open that up but otherwise like i don't get the yearning for it as much as i do like other jrpgs and luckily i have there's a billion million of those so i can oh yeah i can i can play those um but yeah like pokemon is just a thing where it's like i was obsessed with it for a while and now I'm now I'm fine, but there's just a there's just a yearning sometimes, you know. Yeah, and I know that's not you don't have that. It's not relatable, but not at all. Um, no. I mean, I had a bunch of the Pokemon cards as a kid, um, and I played Pokemon Go for a while, um, right? But yeah, I mean, honestly, like I think the reason I ended up buying it this morning is I just recently rewatched, um, and if people haven't seen this, I highly recommend it. Uh, Griffin McElroy's Nuzlocke run um, is excellent content, even if you are someone like me who doesn't care about Pokemon. I think I know of it. I think my my ex told me about that, and uh, she she was really into Pokemon, uh, or she got got reintroduced to Pokemon at some point, and then got introduced to the you know the McElroys, mm-hmm. and was like, oh, you should watch this, and I was like. This seems cool, but also I had recently started rewatching the Twitch Plays Pokemon stuff, mm-hmm. uh, and that that stuff was just so much more interesting to me uh, than the Nuzlocke run, just because it was like, oh, look at the absurdity of this thing. There's so much Pokemon content. That's the point. Oh, yeah. No, for sure. So, Morgan, mm-hmm. um, let's talk about our next episode. Yes, let's. Our next episode is called Armored Car. Of course, as always, we have our IMDb description and our Baywatch wiki description. Mm-hmm. So our IMDb description is Jill teams up with Trevor to win a beach volleyball tournament. But all she really wants is to beat her ex no matter what. Eddie and Shawnee try to rescue a child trapped in a crashed armored car that's about to fall into the sea. Okay, so the Baywatch wiki description is... A pro-am beach volleyball tournament is being held and Trevor tries to convince Jill to be his partner for the competition. Their main rival in the competition is Jill's ex-partner, which cements Jill's resolve to compete. Meanwhile, an exhibition geared to drum up interest in saving a local pier leads to Shiny and Eddie becoming trapped underwater in a locked armored truck after part of the pier collapses. Sounds exciting. Sounds like it's going to be a real bottle episode for a lot of it, huh? Yeah, it does. But also just the idea of Jill and Trevor together makes me kind of have hope that it's going to be funny. Um, but who knows? I don't know. I don't think we've seen the two of them really paired up much together other than 
when Jill was trying to get uh, Trevor's signed cereal box. Yeah, or a little bit afterwards where, like, he was hitting on her and she would just be like, you know, like, lay off. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, otherwise, like, it's not... Yeah, it doesn't, it doesn't, it doesn't seem like they've been really paired. I mean, Jill hasn't been paired much with anybody, so. Exactly. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think that, uh, pretty much sums up the episode for me. Um, it felt much like I imagine being trapped in a Pokeball field (laughs) and by which I mean to say bad. And I'm glad (laughs) all that's left to do is for me to thank you all so much for listening to yet another episode of Baywatch Rookie School. If you want to find us on Twitter, our show handle is at Rookie School Pod. I'm at Morgan P. Thrapp. And I am at Snotsnit, S-N-O-T-S-N-I-T. We'll see you next week. And just remember, hips, lips, and fingertips. Ew. <laughs> uh